This is Dream Power Radio, the place where your dreams turn into reality. Here is your host, Debbie Specter Weissman. Hello, 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 and welcome to Dream Power Radio on the amazing Women and Men of Power Network, the world's leading positive programming network powered by Raven International. I'm your host, Debbie Specter Weissman, the Dream Coach. This is a show where we talk about dreams, both daytime and nighttime dreams. Now, you can use them to inform and make the internal shift to a life you love. Well, if you've been listening to this show for any amount of time, you already know the power that dreams have to shape our lives. Anytime I have the opportunity to talk to dream workers about their thoughts on dreams, I take advantage of it. Well, today is one of those moments. My guest, Catherine Medall, is a psychotherapist who has spent her career helping others connect with their inner lives. She's written a new book, Dreaming at the Gates, which documents this wonderful place of mystery and wonder. Welcome to Dream Power Radio, Catherine. Thanks, Debbie. I'm glad to be here. Catherine, why are dreams important to you? Well, I had my first dream when I was three years old, and it's my first memory. And it was a really powerful dream that stayed with me my whole life and kind of set the stage of what a lot of my life issues were going to be. So right out the gate, I'm not so sure that uh, dreams chose me. That's what I want to say. Dreams chose me right out the gate. Ah, very interesting. Um, One of the things I did want to talk to you about were childhood dreams. And I think you sort of answered this question, but maybe you could expand on it a little bit more because I wanted to know if dreams that we have in childhood do stay with us into our adulthood. So can you expand on that? I think that some dreams stay with us and some don't. If they do stay with us, there's a reason they stay with us. And I think the ones that stay with us either had a big, powerful impact at the time, or they uh, prefigured what our issues, our concerns, and our passions were going to be in life. So for instance, my first dream, I woke up and was a witch in the corner of my room in the rocking chair. I saw her. I was terrified. She had kind of craggy face and was cackling. I was terrified, but I didn't have any place to go because my mother's bed didn't feel safe. So I was in this quandary in my dream. What do I do? There's no safe place. That was the dream. I eventually did run to my mother's bed in the dream, but that set up in my life, an understanding at a very early age that I was going to have issues with my mother and that that was going to be important. That also was important because in resolving my own issues, I became a healer for other people. So that first dream set up a powerful understanding of what my life was going to be like, what was going to be important to me. That same is true of other people who remember their first dreams. Their dreams show them something about their characters, something about their passions, something about what their issues are going to be. And of course, my first dream had a, had a witch in it, and I, was, and I was going to be interested in the metaphysical things that can't be seen. And there it was in my first dream. Was that a scary witch or a good witch? It was totally scary. I was frightened. I was scared, but I was paralyzed because I didn't feel like I could run to my mother's bed. So I, like, there was the witch and there was the unsafe bed. What do I do? It was like a quandary. It was a dilemma. And it set up a very clear picture for me. It was comforting, though. It was scary, but it was comforting from an early age because I felt like something in me understood my situation. Into 
even, I had this feeling that I was great. So even from an early age, I knew, oh, something in me understands and can reflect back to me my situation. So I found it very comforting, even though it was terrifying. Mm. And obviously, this dream is a nightmare. And, you know, I like to say that nightmares can be our best friend or the best thing that's ever happened to us because when we figure out what they are, they do give us life-changing messages that, that we can use. But what do you do when you're three? I mean, you're, you're not an analyst. You, know, you just stay with me. It, it, like, you know, we're so impressionable when we're young, so that image just stayed with me. But I knew that even though it scared me, I knew that it was good medicine for me. And by the time I was like seven or eight or nine, I understood it. I mean, I understand it fully, but I understood that it was there to help. I did. I felt that. And I'm so, I'm so glad that what you said, you know, about uh, nightmares, because I think that ecstatic, beautiful dreams and nightmares are pretty much equal. They're both important in terms of what they bring to us. Well, they do, because uh, they are in messages. I mean, I like to say that you know, because we dream all the time, you know, we may be having something going on in our life and we're, we're getting a dream about it, but because we're not paying attention to that dream, it just sort of goes away. And to me, a nightmare is like our subconscious's way of saying, hey, you're not listening to all these nice little dreams I'm giving you, so I'm going to give you a dream that's going to scare you and make you remember it. And uh, that's what happens. Or, or the unconscious will give us the same dream again and again and again, while we're recurring dream until we listen. Yes. Yes. So the unconscious has different ways of handling it if we decide we're not going to pay any attention. Either the nightmare comes or the dreams keep repeating. Or sometimes they're repeating nightmares. But whatever, the unconscious will make itself known. Exactly. Well, that also gets into the whole idea of recurring dreams. So uh, what is your take on recurring dreams? Well, I think that our dreams come. Uh, we'll talk about how our dreams are compensatory, that they uh, balance out a one-sidedness in our conscious attitude. So we're, you know, when we're walking around life, we're very uh, preoccupied with making our lives work, with surviving. And we kind of put out of sight those things that are uncomfortable to us because we think they're going to derail us. So our dreams come and they show us some of those things that we need to look at. Sometimes they're really beautiful things that we're, we're ignoring. But we're ignoring something, we're, we're pressing it. Dreams will come and then shows that if we don't pay attention, and it's important, then the dream will come again. And it will come again until we pay attention to it. So I love recurring dreams because I feel like they show the tenacity of our deep self to show us where we're limited and where we need to expand and grow. So recurring dreams, they, they, they're like a knock that keeps coming at the door telling us, pay attention, pay attention, pay attention. Yeah. They can be uncomfortable, but but they're very, very helpful. And they, and they really prove the, the existence of a, another part of the psyche other than the waking self that wants to get our attention. The fact that they that keep coming again and again show us that, that there's something out there other than the waking self that wants to make a comment. There's nothing more than a recurring dream that really shows that. Yeah, well then how, how can we resolve a recurring dream? Uh, okay, well, <laughs> you know, like any dream, like any dream, dreams don't provide guidance. They don't come and say, hey, this is what you should do, Debbie, or this is what you should do, Catherine. They provide an experience, and then we have an opportunity, like how we're going to react to that experience. So if a dream keeps coming, and we keep ignoring it, it keeps coming, but if we 
decide that we're going to act on what the dream has shown us. Uh, I can give you an example personally if you'd like one. Sure. Uh, so uh, when I first met my husband, we were living in the San Francisco Bay Area, and I loved the Bay Area, and he wanted to move, and I didn't. So we had a conflict in our relationship. Are we going to move or not? Are we not? I started to have kidnapping dreams. And I swear, I had them every night for a year. And I just didn't listen. I mean, I knew, I knew what they were about, but I just wasn't ready to pay attention to them. So sometimes I was a child, sometimes I was a man, sometimes I was a woman, but I was always being kidnapped. Finally, I said to myself, okay, this is enough. And I decided I was not going to move. No matter what happened, no matter what the consequences were, I wasn't going to move because my deep self felt that it would be a kidnapping to leave the Bay Area at that point. I made the decision to honor what my dreams were telling me, and the dreams stopped immediately. And I eventually did leave the Bay Area, and I didn't have one dream about being kidnapped because it was the right time. It was the right time. So that's that's like that's how dream guidance happens, and how recurring dream stops. You decide that you're going to act on what the dreams been telling you. Right, but in the, in the real world, in the waking world, how'd you get your husband to agree to? Well, it, it fortunately worked out for us. It worked out. It might not have, but I was willing to take that risk. I had I'd seen where I was and what I could and couldn't do. It worked out fine for us. So, but, but when you act on your dream, I mean, I don't think there's always this kind of such an important thing riding on it. Sometimes our recurring dreams are not that important as important as my marriage was, but it did work out for me in this situation. Mm -hmm. Well, it sort of brings me into uh, one of my favorite dream quotes is from the, the pioneering Swedish psychiatrist, Paul Gere, who said that dreaming is a natural healing system. And toward that end, during the pandemic, you put out a video about a dream that you had, which helped you cope with the situation. So can you tell us about that dream and why you made a video of it? Now, a while back, I realized that my book was written before the pandemic and that we were in a different world, so that my book was no longer about the world we live in. So I wanted to make a, I wanted to bring my work into the current time of the pandemic. And I began that by sharing a dream. So I decided I would do a YouTube series looking at dreams that people have during the pandemic. That would be my offering. I started out with my own dream which I called isolation. Uh, in that dream, I was walking in the streets of Berkeley, where I lived for many, many years, except the streets were no longer familiar. I was walking along streets that had once been familiar. I now didn't know my way around. And I was suddenly a student at the University of, of California. So I was a student. I was trying to figure out where I was. I felt lost. I felt isolated. And I saw a friend from high school that I lost. I sort of saw her at a distance. So I was in a state of really unknowing and uh, uh, just feeling disoriented in the dream. That was the first part of the dream. And I'll just do that and tell you what we do the second part. So when I looked at that dream, I said, okay, you know, what, what, is, this, what is this about? Well, first you look, when you work a dream, you look at what the feelings are. The feelings are being isolated and disoriented. It didn't take too long to figure out that that was how I was feeling in daily life with the pandemic. I thought it was really interesting that I was a student because at this time we're all students. We're all trying to learn how to navigate this new world. How do we do it? And in the dream, I was a student, and which is so apt. The metaphor was so apt for the times. 
So that's that's what I made of that dream. Do you want me to go to the second part, or is that enough to really? Oh, sure, tell me about the second part, sure. So the second part of the dream, I went to the student union at the University of California. There were a bunch of people there, and we were trying to figure out how do we make the student union, the common space, comfortable for everyone? How do we do that? And so we were kind of trying different things, and nothing really worked very well. And then somebody had the idea of putting fish tanks, two fish tanks from floor to ceiling. And when they put two in, they were beautiful. Just this beautiful kelp, and there were goldfish with big fins that were swimming around the water. Absolutely beautiful, these tanks. I was mesmerized by this. Like, this is so beautiful. However, when this turned out to be an effective way of decorating or, or inhabiting the common space, people began to put the, the tanks everywhere. So all the walls were lined with fish tanks. At that point, they lost their beauty. There were too many of them. There was a cold surface of the glass. And in the tanks, suddenly, there were too many fish, too. So what was beautiful and inviting had become cold and uh, didn't work any longer. And in the dream, I thought to myself, you know, I've been to so many aquariums and museums where there's glass, and I never realized before how cold those kind of glass barriers are. So when I looked at, okay, what is this about? Well, of course, we're all in the common space trying to make life work. It's not just our individual lives, but how do we make the collective space work? When I looked at the fish tanks, they, of course, reminded me of, of like how we are right now. You're looking into kind of a fish tank. You're looking through a screen at somebody else. So what that dream said to me was used in a small amount. Like when there were two tanks, it was beautiful. This, if you use it, Sparingly, if you use it judiciously, this will be a beautiful, beautiful way to navigate the common space. If you use it too much, it will become cold and it will lose its effectiveness. So there was a piece of guidance for me in there, individually and just collectively. Yes, use the tool, it's beautiful, but beware of using it too much. And, and what a wonderful dream to share with people because I, a lot of people have been feeling that way. And yeah, life, life on a screen. Is, is very different. It has a lot of gifts to it, but it's also limited. Yeah, and speaking of this, yeah, speaking of this time, uh, there's a lot of anecdotal evidence that there are a lot more people paying attention to their dreams these days. Do you think that's sustainable when, when life sort of goes back to, quote, normal? I don't know. I don't know because I, I hope so. But, but what I believe is that the reason that people are remembering their dreams more is because they have more time. You know, they get up in the morning and they have a cup of coffee and they're not hitting the ground running. So there's much more time for the dream to come in and to be processed. So I think that, and also because there's a collective trauma happening. So I think that, that in times of trauma, we remember more too. But I do think the space, the spaciousness of our lives, or some people's lives right now, is really helping us to dream more. When we get when we become busier again, I don't know. I really don't. What I hope is that during this time, people will develop new habits. That they'll see, oh my goodness, my my dream life can really add to to my waking life. That it can really help my life. It can deepen my experience of the world. I hope people have enough of an experience of that during this time that they're motivated to keep watching their dreams and working with their dreams once this is over. But honestly, I don't really know if that will happen once people get busy again. Well, we can hope and we can dream. 
<laughs> right. Uh, toward the end, there's so much more to talk about dreams, but we have to take a little break here. We are talking about dreams with Catherine Vidal, and we'll be right back after this short break. Join me, my fellow Raven International podcasters, and broadcasters from around the world in a joyous salute to the heroes of the pandemic. On July 17th, the Raven International Network is devoting the entire day to a star-studded list of speakers who will inspire, empower, and connect with you. Watch on the Raven International Network channel on Roku or Amazon Fire. Or listen on podcasts everywhere. See you on the 17th. Welcome back to Dream Power Radio with your host, Debbie Spector-Weissman. Yes, welcome back to Dream Power Radio. I'm your host, Debbie Spector-Weissman, and we're speaking with Catherine Medall about dreams. Well, Catherine, I understand that it actually took several dreams uh, to get you inspired to write your new book. So can you tell me about how that came about? Well, I left the Bay Area, like we had talked about earlier, and I moved to Ventura, California, which is on the Central Coast. And I started to practice here. I began to make friends, but there was kind of an emptiness. I didn't know quite why, but I felt an emptiness in my life. One night, I had, in the middle of this emptiness that I was experiencing, I had a dream that I was at a church that was in a woman's house. And the woman was telling the story about how God had inspired her to start this church. And here it was. As I heard her tell her story in the dream, I thought to myself, I could write a book about this. I could write a book about inner inspiration and how it helps people to manifest their lives. So that was my thought in the dream. When I woke up, I thought, wow, this really could work for me. I, I knew I wasn't going to write a Christian book, but it, it was a metaphor, like God, whatever is divine in the self, speaking to one through dreams, visions, however it happens, that I could write a book about that and how those kind of visions and subtle experiences help people to manifest a really full life. That's so I took the advice of the of the dream. That was a very uh, simple dream, by the way. That that most of my dreams are I have to really work with the metaphors more and try to figure out what's going on. That dream was quite upfront. That dream just said, there is a way that you can go here if you chose choose to go. You can write a book about inspiration and manifestation. So I took the advice of the dream. I did. It took me about three days after that dream to, to start the book. And so I, I thought that was the main dream that I had. With this yeah, and it also bring, brings about the importance that dreams do give us inspiration. They give us guidance. Uh, but they really become very impactful when we take action on them. Exactly. Exactly. And one thing I want to say that we haven't really touched on here is that dreams are mysterious, not just where they come from, but every dream is a mystery. When you first have a dream and you're sitting, most dreams, you're sitting in front of them and there's this metaphorical language and you really don't know what it means. And even after a life of working with dreams, my breath kind of catches. You know, am I going to be able to... Uh, you know, penetrate into the meaning of this dream, is it going to reveal itself to me? Because there's that moment when you confront the other otherness of dreams, which is from another state of consciousness, 
that you don't know whether it's going to really uh, unfold or not. So I just wanted to say that, that, that that's a, a really important step in dream work, is sitting with that otherness and the sort of anxiety about whether or not this can really work or not, yeah. whether we're really going to get to the depths of it. Then, after we've done the work of unfolding the imagery of the dream, which can take a little bit of time, when we do that work, then, as you say, we can take action on what's revealed. But there is that part of the process which is confronting the other and the unknown. Yes, and, and it's not, all, like you say, it's not always easy. You know, exactly. Sometimes, you know, there are some dreams that are very self-evident. You have it, it's, it's like black and white, that's what it is, and you know what it is. But right, and, and it's usually the ones that are really have, like, very important meaning are the ones that are sometimes the hardest to understand. And they do take yeah. but it, but it's worth it. It's worth it. And I think one of the reasons why it's been hard for a lot of people to really believe that dreams are important is because to get the importance does take time. Exactly. And in our kind of driven culture, people really haven't had the time. Now they have the time to see how actually a dream can unfold if, if you do take the time to be with it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, as everyone in this audience knows, we dream all the time. Whether we remember them or not, we dream all the time. Uh, and some dreams are more important than others. So I want to talk to you about the concept of what you call the big dream, you know, the kind of dream that is life-altering. Uh, how do we tell when we're having a dream if it's meant to be a life-changing dream? Well, I think that with a true big dream, there's no doubt. It, it roars into your consciousness and it grabs you, and you know that you've had a life-changing experience. Uh, one thing I want to say about big dreams um, is that there is an experience of the imagery in the dream, in the dream itself, not in the analyzing it. There's an experience that often changes us while we're in the dream state. That's a little bit different than a lot of dreams we have, which are less important and you know, we, we think about them, we figure out what they're about, but they don't change us. Big dreams change us in the dream state. They change our way of being and our way of thinking. Big dreams often come with imagery, like archetypal imagery. So, you know, we might meet angels or uh, wise old people or some of our de dead relatives. We might meet wild animals that we've never really encountered. So the imagery of big dreams tends to be out of the ordinary. That's, that's one way we can recognize it. The other way is, as I've said, the impact is so great. Like you wake up and you are in a different place inside yourself than you were when you went to sleep. That's, that's a big dream, where the dream experience shifts who you are. And then you have to work at it and figure out what to do with it. Yeah, well, I'd like to share a dream that somebody had shared from my book. Sure. So, this is a short dream, so easily kind of taken in. Uh, this woman was in a car, and she was in the, she was driving the car, but she was in the back seat, so she couldn't reach the wheel and she couldn't reach the pedals. But she was in control of the car, or was supposed to be. So of course she was scared because she didn't she couldn't really control it. In the dream, the angel uh, Michael, Archangel Michael, came and sat in the car and took over control for her. 
she said that the experience that she had in the dream of being supported and loved and having help was so visceral that when she woke up, she was in a different place in, in her life than she was when she went to sleep. This particular, this woman, her father had died when she was 17 unexpectedly. He had left seven kids. The youngest was eight. The whole family had gone into shock. And since that time, she had a kind of insecurity in the world, you know, like the kind of foundation had fallen out. When she had this dream, that insecurity that she had had since her father died shifted. She felt like in the universe, there were presences, masculine presences, like her father, that would support her and love her. And so when she woke up, she felt different about life. Did she still insecure? I'm sure she did. But there was a shift in her relationship to herself in the world that happened through having that big dream. Mm -hmm. That's a big dream. <laughs> yeah. It is. And I have to tell you, though, I had a dream that changed my life. I mean, I wouldn't be here. I keep saying I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for this dream because it, it really altered my experience and led me to get into dream work. And the dream was one word. That's all it was. One word? One word. But it, had, it was so unusual. It had such a profound effect because when I started to dig into it, it was like, oh, my God, this is my life. Well, what was the word? The word was codpiece. Codpiece. Yes, and I don't know if you know what a cod piece is, but it's well, from Shakespeare. Right, it's this you know, uh, you know, thick piece of garment that men wore to cover their genitals, and and I won't go into the whole detail of it, but but the gist of it was is is that be, for most of my life I was very quiet and very shy and didn't express myself very well, and this dream kind of showed me that I was hiding behind this big shell or codpiece that was, you know, preventing me from expressing myself and that if I wanted to make a difference in my life, I had to, you know, go beyond the codpiece in a sense. And, and then this was, this was the kicker though. The next night I had another dream. Again, it was one word, but this word was almond. And when I heard that almond and when I heard that, I said, this is so great. I'm on the right track because what is an almond? It's it's not. It has a shell, like a, a barrier, like a codpiece, but it's not as thin as a codpiece. So meant that I'm on the right track. I felt, and it made me feel I'm on the right track. So it led me. Obviously, it wasn't like you know the day after that I was you know talking to everybody and expressing myself. It, you know, of course, it started the process though to get to that space and. To sync the images were and how they moved, they moved. Right, forward. and and you know, that's why. I always, so I I use it as an example to say that you know, even if you, a lot of people don't remember their dreams or don't think they're important because they may not have this big epic dream or they may only remember something like a little bit. And I say work with the little bit because that little bit can open up new worlds for you if you pay attention to it. We are exactly the same. I agree with you. Like, if the dream is too complex, pick the image that calls to you and work with that, and it will take you somewhere. Exactly. Actually, one more thing about that. I love the codpiece dream. <laughs> you know, in, did you have big feelings in the dream when, when you had when you heard that word? Or the, big no, the, the only thing I remembered, the only thing I remembered when I woke up was the word, but because it was so unusual, yeah. it was like, okay, well, this must mean something. 
So I've got to investigate it. So I went and looked up what it was and and then you know, just kept asking myself, well, what does a cod piece mean to me? Because the literal definition didn't resonate because, you know, I wasn't a medieval man, you know. <laughs> and, and, the, and the other, like I would say, you know, the other definition was, you know, cod pieces were worn as garments with heavy metal rockers would wear, you know, pretend cod pieces. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, Ozzy Osbourne one of the people who do that if you look at pictures of him. I said, well, and I wasn't a big Ozzy Osbourne fan or a heavy metal fan. So it was like I had to go beyond. I had to go to the metaphor. Well, what could it mean? What is this, you know, definition that goes beyond the literal definition? And You know, you know one thing I love about that dream is how it hooked you. It's like you were, something was thrown out to you that was intriguing and mysterious, and it was like a hook. And I do think our dreams are like that. They're like hooks that uh, – that pull us toward uh, unpacking what they're about. And it, particularly a dream like that, it's just so mysterious. It's like, and also not too complex that you got lost. It's just, a, it's just a, a, so startling and so succinct. It's like, I really feel like I'm kind of spoke to you. It's just like, okay, Debbie. <laughs> exactly. And oh my God, you know, I, I can't believe we have just sailed through this time. So I just have time for one more question. Okay. How can people get your book? They can go to Amazon. Okay, you want to repeat the title again? Dreaming at the Gates, How Dreams Guide Us. Wonderful. Well, Catherine, thank you so much for being a guest on Dream Power Radio today. Uh, we've been speaking with dream expert Catherine Ridal. I hope you've enjoyed today's program. Until next time, this is Debbie Spector-Weissman saying, Sweet dreams, everybody. You've been listening to Dream Power Radio with your host, Debbie Spector-Weissman. For more information on Debbie or to sign up for her newsletter, go to dreampowerradio.com. This has been Dream Power Radio on the amazing Women and Men of Power Network, the world's leading positive programming network, powered by Raven International.